says to life, we're going to cover the entire life of Joseph. It's about seven chapters in the Bible. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 35. So Jacob is one of the, the great patriarchs. That's a fancy word for an important father, a patriarch. And uh, God is even often referred to in the Bible as being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob is number three of the patriarchs, and he's a very important character. One thing I've discovered about Christians is that we love to look at our Bible characters through rose-colored glasses, and we think they're like these amazing people that have this incredible relationship with God. And half the time, it's not really like that. And I found preparing this sermon quite disturbing because the more I read about Jacob, the more concerned I got about his criticism and how he chose to live his life. And there is this dark side to Jacob that we'll explore a little bit this evening. But as you know, most of the biblical characters have got their dark side. After being saved through the great flood, Noah gets completely drunk and, and loses it for a while. Lot, after being rescued by God because he's a righteous man, uh, is raped by his two daughters in two consecutive nights, and they become pregnant, and there's incest in the family. Think of Abraham lying about his, his wife. Think of Moses and his anger issues being unable to enter the promised land. Think of David and all the blood that was on his hands and that God said, David, you can't build my temple because you've, you've shed too much innocent blood. Think of Saul's sin, Solomon's sins, his 300 wives. You know, often these biblical characters are not all we take them to be. So Jacob comes from this dysfunctional family, and we're going to explore his life and why it was so dysfunctional. But let's start with his birth. So Isaac, which Jolene preached about last week, uh, she, uh, no, Isaac, yeah, I had a wife called Rebecca, I believe. You must help me with the names tonight, because sometimes I can be very confused. There's just so many names, uh, 12 sons, for example. But when Rebecca becomes pregnant, she, she can sense there's a battle going on in her womb. And this is sibling rivalry beginning to play forth. The babies jostled each other within her. So this is a little bit unusual. And, and Rebecca has to pray and say, Lord, well, what's going on with my children here? They, they, they seem to be jostling and sparring and, and fighting in the womb. And a prophetic word comes to Rebecca, and the message is, actually, there are two nations in your womb. Two peoples are going to come from these two babies. And the one people is going to be stronger than the other group that will come. And the older child will serve the younger. And so this is an unusual prophecy. And when the children are born... They're two very different boys. The one is a, is a boyish boy. He's nice and hairy. And the other is not such a boyish boy. And that's the hero of our story, Jacob. So even though in the, 
in the secular view of life, Esau is born first, and he is the, the hairy one on top, the one who inherited the privilege of being the firstborn, the, the, the leader of the family. God's word comes and says, no, it is the younger one in my clan that is going to be the one that I use. So I've already shared how these boys are, are, are very different. Esau grew up and he became a skillful hunter. He's a hunting type, sort of a Roman character. <laughs> Probably did rowing. <laughs> and, then, and then the other brother, Jacob, he is a quiet man. Uh, he liked to, to do camping. No, they all lived in tents. They lived in tents. And, and so the, the different parents develop an affinity with, with the child that's kind of most like them. And so, so Isaac really takes a fancy to Esau because Isaac was a, was a man's man and liked hunting and stealing all this kind of stuff. And and Jacob, he liked cooking and flower arranging and music and painting and you get the picture. And so, so Rebecca really felt an affinity with Jacob, plus she was always hanging around with her, so she really liked that. Okay, and we pick up the story. This is where it starts to get exciting because Esau's, Esau's out hunting. He comes in from the field. Oh, and he smells this lovely stew that Jacob has cooked up. And he's famished and he says, Drew, can I have some stew? <laughs> and Jacob, being the conniving brother that he is, says, surely, Sam, if you sell me your birthright. So you all know that guys when they're super hungry, can't think straight. Okay, that's a real thing. And that's what's going on here. So, so, so Esau just says, sure, anything, just give me some of the stew. You could understand it if it was a meaty stew, but he dipped it up for lentils, which... But what is going on here spiritually is that this is Esau giving up his God-given destiny. And I believe that people, we do this today in our own way and society. We say, well, God's made me this way or given me this or whatever blessing, but for the sake of this desire, I'm actually going to put that all aside and do what I want to do. And that's what Esau does right here. He, he gives scant regard to the fact that he's the firstborn in the family that he's been given special rights and privileges as, as the firstborn. And he just tosses it all aside for nothing. The second terrible thing that Jacob does is he changes the family will and he makes himself the sole inheritance. That's effectively what he's doing. It's like sneakily getting hold of the family wall 
And when your brothers and sisters aren't looking, you screw it up, you throw it away in the bin, you forge a brand new will, and you make yourself the sole beneficiary. That's what Jacob did here. Isaac says, hey, Esau, I'm going to die one of these days, so go now, cook me a nice meal, and then I'm going to impart to you the blessing and, and your inheritance. Esau says, shot, Dad, that is great. Rebecca, of course, is listening into this and is now wanting to angle it so Jacob gets the blessing. So she hatches a plan that her favorite can actually get in there. And Jacob goes along with it, a grown man getting told what to do by his mother. And Rebecca quickly whips up a stew. And then Jacob dresses up in his brother's smelly clothes and goes off to Isaac. And, and Isaac says, but you don't smell much like Esau. And he says, no, no, I'm definitely Esau. What's the problem, Dad? And he carries the plan very over to the edges of the thing. And he enjoys the, the food. And then he imparts a blessing. blessing. Verse 28, may God give you his heavens to you. May nations serve you. Peoples bow down to you. Be Lord of your brothers. May the sons of your mother bow down to you. And may those who bless you be blessed. Every blessing that Isaac can think of, he imparts to his son Jacob, thinking it's And just and then it's done. Esau comes in from the field. Hey, Dad, I'm home. Just give me an hour or so, and that that stew will be ready, and you can bless me. And and his father says, "Well, who are you?" Verse thirty-two. I'm your son. He answers, "Your firstborn, Esau." And Isaac trembles violently and said, "Well, who was it that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I I blessed him." And then Esau says, bless me too, father. But he says his brother came deceitfully and, and took the blessing. Well, isn't there anything that you can bless me with? And Isaac's reply is no. And then Esau says these significant words. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He's deceived me. He's cheated. He took my birthright technically correct, and now he's taken my blessing. And then Esau says to himself, when, think to yourself, when my father dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. That's how much I hate him. And it's at this point that our hero, God's man, Jacob, has to flee. And that's how he lands up with his uncle Laban, again with his mother arranged to be his ward. Well, I know a guy named this guy, he's a banker. So Jacob disappears into the desert, far, far away, so his brother can't catch him. I want to tell you something about the word Jacob. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? In the Hebrew language, the word Jacob means heel catcher. 
Because when these two boys were born, the second son, Jacob, came out of the womb, holding on to his brother's ankle. And it was a kind of a cute thing, and they called him heel catcher, Jacob. But there's a deeper spiritual significance here. This idea of holding on to his brother's heel, it's like he hated to be second. He was holding on his brother's heel. Maybe it was a helping him come out. But, but maybe there's a symbol of he, he wished his brother wasn't third. He was kind of pull his brother back so he can be the first firstborn son. So that's what the word Jacob means. It means heel catcher, someone who's wanting to be first, a struggler. And they'll be more significant in that later. Anyway, you all like a good, uh, a good quiet time story. I was going to say love story. We'll get into that. So after Jacob has run away, he has that vision of the stairway to heaven. You might have heard of that. There's a famous song based on this vision by an unmentionable band. He sees a stairway to heaven. You would think that God's word to Jacob would be, you're a really terrible guy, Jacob. Because that's what God could have said to Jacob. But instead, God simply says, remember that covenant that I made with Abraham and Isaac? Well, Jacob, I just want to remind you that I'm going to do great things through your life. You're a scoundrel, I know. Okay, God didn't say that, but I'm just reading in between the lines. But I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. And in fact, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Don't you think that's amazing? It's the speech of the grace of God being used. And look at the tepid response that Jacob gives to this amazing vision of the stairway to heaven. Oh, all right then. Well, if God does bless me and all of that, oh, then I suppose the Lord will can be my God. You see, he's not like a, a spiritual giant yet. This reminds us, friends, of the doctrine of election. Come on. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, when he's talking about election, where God chooses who is ultimate is going to become a question because it's his work. And he saves us not because we deserve to be saved. God saves the likes of us because he wants to save us. And he's doing something. And so when Paul is kind of trying to convey this idea of election and how it works, he makes the point of taking this story that I'm talking about tonight. And he says, Rebecca's children, they had the same father. Yet before the twins were born, all had done anything good or bad. God had decided, Jacob, I love and Esau, I hate them. There is this choice in, in the heart of God that defies explanation. But it's an example of how election works. And that's why God is using Jacob here. God isn't using Jacob because Jacob is a good guy and gets everything right. He gets a lot of stuff wrong. But, but God has chosen to use Jacob. 
Okay, now we come to the last series. So we need to look. Say his praise means show me a what. I need a what. And you need to do it by a well and crystal clear. Here we go. Here's your verses. Then he meets the girl's father. You know how it goes. Okay, like, how's it? I really love your daughter. She is so great. Then he's like, well, that's well and good, but you can't just marry her, you know. You're going to have to work for me for seven years. But when you're in love, that seven years is nothing. Jacob's like, only seven years. <laughs> no problem. Work for seven years, and then I love this phrase. He, had, he sets up a meeting with his, his fiancé's father and says, the seven years are up, and I want to lie with you. That's not how to have that conversation, by the way. <laughs> Just telling you what he said. And so a, a wedding is arranged. And you probably know the story. The wedding gets off to a good start and everybody's there. But at some point in the evening, Rachel, the the woman that Jacob loved gets swept up with the older sister. And he only discovers this the next morning. And you may think to yourself, well, how can that happen? Well, if people are veiled, all of them are just the eyes sticking out, and there's been load shedding, and nobody can see a thing. Maybe a dust storm. I don't know, they're in the desert, sand in their eyes. <laughs> the point is he, he wakes up and he finds he's, he's married the, the wrong girl. He goes to his father and says, why have you deceived me? Why have you deceived me? And Label, Laban leans into culture and says, well, you know, in our, in our community, don't really get married. You get the younger daughter and marry through. You know, you start with the older one and work down. And so he's given the opportunity to, to, to work another seven years for the, the woman that he really loves. And so he works for the seven years, but a week later gets to marry her. Now you've got a bloke sitting with two wives, one of whom he doesn't like, and one who he's passionately in love with. Polygamy is a terrible thing. And when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, and, and so Leah begins to, to bear children. And Rachel, who was the wife who was loved by Jacob, she she found she couldn't have any children. And then these two wives start to have animosity between each other. And, and, and Rachel thinks, my husband loves me more than he loves you. And then she'd reply back, yeah, but I've got more children than you have. And there was this tension between these two women. And lots and lots of children are born, mainly boys. And these 
of our sins become the quail tribe of Israel. Each of these boys was a bull. These women, Dan and Issachar and Joseph, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where they come from. And I'd like you to notice that God works in the mess of life. That we like to think that God's plans are only us working and everything is going hoopity-doopity-wet. That's not how it is. There's things that are going terribly wrong. At one point, things are so bad that between these women trying to have more babies than the other, they're, they're bringing their servants, and they say, well, why don't you sleep with my servant, comes up with Rachel with this idea, and then if she has a baby, I can say it's mine, and they do that, and more children are born, and, and then Leah says, well, okay, well, I'm going to do that as well, and, and then one day, Rachel's son is, is, is out picking flowers, eating man's grape. Ancestor would do. And, and Leah says, Hey, Rach, can I have some of those mandrakes? And she says, Sure, but I'll, then I need to get to sleep with Jacob tonight. And so when Jacob comes in from work, he's informed, You must sleep with me, she said. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. I told you it was an interesting family. But do you see how God is at work in all of this? And can you also imagine the grudge that Jacob is holding against his father-in-law? Yeah, they, they, they're not happy either. And so Jacob sets up to exploit his father-in-law to get as much wealth out of him as he can get his hands on. And he comes up with all sorts of animal breeding schemes, some of which are completely ridiculous. But God works and God blesses Jacob and he becomes an incredibly wealthy man. But he still can't stand Laban. So one day he decides in the middle of the night, I'm out of here. One thing that's very mean is to take grandparents, grandchildren, from them without giving them proper advice. But that's what Jacob does. In the middle of the night, he gathers everybody up, his, his 13 kids, his, his two wives, their two servants, everything, and he gathers it up and he sleeps. It takes Laban three days to discover that Jacob's gone. He pulls a militia together and brings them with him and he says, don't it's the night before he catches up to Jacob. Laban, I have not eaten. And God says, don't say a single thing to Jacob, not good or bad. Isn't God looking out for Jacob? And the two of them meet, kiss and make up, and that's all very good. But he's just rushing over that part of the story. But that's where the, the 12 tribes of Israel come from. Okay, so I've said they, they make up. Now there's one more person that Jacob has to make right with, and who is that? Esau, his brother, who has wanted to, to kill him. 
Father Jacob splits up all his possessions into fields and he and he called diversification so summing he got all his stuff got stolen he wouldn't lose it all I think he even splits up the kids and now he's by himself there's probably the children of Rachel and the children of Leah remember Leah grew first Okay, so he sends off all his stuff, and he's left alone. Verse 22, after he sends them across the stream, he sends over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man comes out of nowhere and attacks Jacob, chases him out, rugby tackle style, boom, knocks him to the ground. We discover later that this is the angel of the Lord, or perhaps even the pre-incarnate Christ. And they fight King Gangrel. And in that battle, which might have looked something like that, although I'm sure there's a lot more rolling around on the ground, Jacob sees And now remember Jacob's name is, is Peor-Rav, deceiver, stubborn. And now after the fighting all night, eventually God dislocates Jacob's foot and he's hurting and angry. But he's angry for good. So he's holding on to the angel or the demon who says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the words come. And these are very deep and profound words and very important that we grasp this point. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob struggles with God. He fails to trust in God's sovereignty and providence. He always thought he had control of all the problems. Ever found yourself trying to do that with things in life? He failed to accept his birth order, that that's the home in which he's born, that that's how he looked like. He wasn't the hairy one. But, but, but he couldn't accept that. And so even in the womb, he wants to be firstborn, but, but he's not. He fails to trust God's power to bring things about. He struggles with God. His life is not easy. He doesn't even believe the promises of God. He also struggles with men. That's why he was manipulating his brother. That's why he was ripping off Laban. God says, from now on, you're no longer going to be known as this identity, the struggling one, the guy who always wants to be first. From now on, you're going to be known as Israel. 
And as I was reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount, I came up with what I think it might be about. I've just told you the story there, what God says to you if you really want to. But I think this is a story about real life and our struggles in it. And things don't always go according to plan, right? But God's still in the details. If God knew powerfully at work in a situation, I want in our lives, even when things aren't going so well. It's a story about the grace of God. It's a story about the faithfulness of God carrying out his promises regardless of our actions at times. And it's a story of God giving us a new identity. You might think of yourself in this particular way. I am a loser, but also I'm a other people might label you and say, Brewer, you were that. But God comes along and says, I, you are Jacob. You have the identity. But I'm giving you a new identity. And this is who you are. And that is God's word to each one of us. And the book of Revelation tells us that God has a little white pebble with a written on it for each of us. Did you know that? God's got a name for you and it's not James. It's someone else. And one day when you read it, he's going to say, you are James and that's how people have known you. But actually in my heart and in my thing, this is your name. So let's pray and worship you blessing this morning. Lord, thank you for the story about, about grace. the world through imperfect people. Lord, we can all identify a bit with Jacob, wanting to make stuff happen, wanting to, to get ahead in life, struggling with you, struggling with life at times, struggling with people. We thank you, Lord, that you watch over us and you know what we're going through. And most of all, we thank you, Lord, that you've chosen us, that you predestined us to become your children before we were born, before we've done anything good or bad. You, you chose us. And those you foreknew, you predestined to be sanctified in the Father. Thank you that you give us a new Help us to trust you, to not struggle unnecessarily in life, but to trust you for all that we need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think just one of the things that was on the heart of the group was, um, as Howard said, just the faithfulness of God and how this massive story of Jacob